that's better. Okay, let's start again. Good morning, everybody. My name is Lara. I'm speaking this morning on John 3, where Jesus and Nicodemus meet. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born again when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things. Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know, and we testify to what we have seen. But still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have an eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light, because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. Amen. How amazing is that? And Rebecca covered all the main points, so. I think to me, the word that Rebecca actually used in a poem was choosing or choice. Um, and the whole passage throughout, Jesus is presenting us with a choice. 
there's a whole series of antonyms that he uses throughout the passage. It's earthly, heavenly, condemn, save, flesh, spirit, <coughs> darkness, light, perish, live. And Jesus is giving us the choice. Which one do you choose? Do you choose earthly or do you choose heavenly? In the little decisions you make every day, which one do you choose? And I was, I was actually chatting about this with Lin Lee at the end of the sermon last night. And it's easier to make one really, really big decision, the heroic choice, than every day make the little choice of forgiveness, the little choice of love, the little choice of yielding in to his spirit and his word. That's the hard thing. It's easy to make the big decision. I, had, I was in the Scouts when I was younger, and we did this hike one time. And being Finland is kind of proper hiking, not like Scouts do over here. <laughs> um, so they dropped us off in the middle of the forest with our big rucksacks, and it, it was 25 miles that we were to cover in a day and a half carrying these packs. I was about 11 at the time. And we were to pitch up camp somewhere in the forest. They'd kind of put a cross on the map and said, you walk there and kind of pitch up there. I will drop some food for you there. And then the weather was lovely and we walked on. And we got to the point where we we're staying overnight. And we were shattered. And my best friend decided she couldn't go on. And I just overheard one of the leaders saying to her, that's a good choice. No girl has ever finished this. <laughs> and to me, that was like a red rack. So I made the decision, I will finish this. I had blisters, I was hating it, but I will finish this. It was easy to make that choice, but then I still had 10 miles to walk with my rucksack the following day. And it was step after step after step. And it wasn't tarmac. It wasn't even hardcore. It was bumpy, lumpy, swampy track. And there were so many times so I kind of, I wish I kept my mouth shut. I should have just quit. But then, once I got the end, it was such an amazing feeling. There was another girl who stayed, it was equally stubborn properly, who stayed with me. And we were the conquerors. When we got to the end, we were the first girls who'd ever done this in our age group. <laughs> and the little, little hard steps along the way, they didn't matter anymore because we got to the end and we'd be victorious. And that's a very kind of rough analogy, but that's what it's all about. Once you get to the end goal, the little hard choices that you make every day are so worth it. And through the spirits and the flesh, I almost felt the question Jesus was asking me is what do I want to invest in? Where do I want to put my money in? Where, what do I want to spend my time on? What am I investing in? It's in the passage. It says flesh gives birth to flesh. Spirit gives birth to spirit. 
So whatever you choose to do, whatever you choose to spend your effort and time into, that, that's the thing that will manifest in your life. Amen. You can't, can't expect amazing peace to fill your life if you're not making the choices that align themselves in the Spirit. You cannot have the fruit <coughs> of the Spirit in your life if the choices you're making are not aligned to the Spirit of God. Yeah. It, it's as simple as. It, it, it's the funny one because we, Jesus loves us. And he loves us an awful lot. He loves us enough to die for us. And his love is there for us. But to live in the fullness that he has for us, we have to choose him daily. And when he talks about baptism in the passage, we have to be born again, born of water and born of the Spirit. When we are baptized in the water, that's the once our decision, I'm choosing to die with Christ. But being Born in the Spirit, that's our daily walk. It's the daily refreshing of the Holy Spirit that will keep us on course. And I, I, I love in verse 8, where it says, The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. <coughs> so it is with everyone born of the Spirit. And we're so quick to focus on our eyes on the earthly, in our communications with each other. And I was just reminded of there so many times in the Bible where the people around Jesus, they couldn't see Jesus as the Son of God. They saw him as Joseph's son. Aren't his brothers here with us? His mother and sisters are outside. Isn't he from Nazareth? They could only focus on the earthly part of Jesus. They couldn't see his heavenly mission. And with each other, it's so easy. We see our, almost the pedigree we have. I'm from Finland. I work at university. I'm one of ten siblings. It's very easy to focus on the external of me without seeing what God has put in me, what the spiritual me is. But that's the me that God is interested in. That's to me he wants to reveal. And it's the image of the rough diamond. Every time we yield into him, there's another cut made on the surface to reveal the glory that's inside the diamond. But it's the tough choice every day to yield into his word and to follow his spirit. And in a way, the value is the same. The, the, the diamond is the same whether you see it or not. But God doesn't want to stay hidden. He wants to reveal his glory in each one of us. Yeah. And the less of us and the more of him we can see in each other, the more he's revealed. The more his love shines through us. And with the whole image of the spirit as the wind, the word that's actually used in Hebrew there, or creek, one thing's creek, isn't it, in the New Testament? It means both spirit and wind. So it's the both together. And if you imagine a sailing boat, it needs the wind to move. But the boat itself cannot do anything. It can't make up the wind. It has to wait for the wind to come. So when you're sailing, the only thing you can do is you can get your sails ready 
So when the wind comes, you will move. But you yourself, you cannot make up wind. You can try paddling with oars, but that will take you a long time. And the amazing thing with the wind is when you're in a sailing boat, as long as there is wind, you can move. It doesn't matter which direction the wind is coming from, you can move. And you can still get to the direction you're going to. Even if the wind is coming against you, you can still get there. You just need to tack and zigzag, but you will still get into your destination. So for us, we don't have to worry what the Spirit is doing. We just have to keep our eyes focused on Jesus, keep our eyes focused on our destination. He's calling us to heaven, but he wants to release his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And as long as we keep focusing on that, the Spirit will come. That's his promise. I will leave you my spirit, my peace. I will never leave you nor forsake you. That's his promise for us. And it's very simple. We just need to keep focusing on him. But the problem with that is, it's our choice. <laughs> it would be so much easier if there was somebody with a big stick saying, you must do this, you must do that. Because then, it would be so much easier for us to choose to do it because so-and-so told us to do it. Whereas God's given us a free will. He's given us pointers along the way, but at the end of the day, it's our choice. What do we focus on? Do we focus on him? Or do we focus on things that make life easy? Mm. And I love actually Nicodemus in this passage as well. Because it's one of the only times in the Bible when Jesus was having one-on-one with somebody. If you think of most of the stories or parables, situations where Jesus is speaking, he's speaking to crowds. He's speaking to more than one person. Whereas here, Nicodemus has come at night to speak with Jesus. The only other story I could think of where Jesus was talking one-on-one was the woman at the well. I cannot think of another. I've been racking my brains for a good few days. I haven't resorted to Google. Um, but from my extensive Sunday school experience, I cannot think of another time where Jesus would have been talking one-on-one with somebody. And to me, what makes this special is Nicodemus is probably the one who made the initiated it, because Jesus, at the end of the day, he would have been ready to crash. If you've been seeing people, you've been doing miracles, teaching all day, the last thing you want to do is talk to somebody. And I, I know even, I talk, I teach for a living. And Thursdays are my worst days. They're, they're good days, but they're, as a day, it's very tiring. I have six hours with our first years. So I got two an hour and a half sessions back to back, an hour break, and then two an hour and a half sessions. And when I come home in the evening, I can say hello, but I don't want to talk. I just, I, I haven't got the capacity in me to talk. And I can imagine Jesus, 
he would have been all day. He's got his disciples with him, and they ask silly questions all the time, so that's kind of, I told you that yesterday. I told you that last week. Did you not remember? But Jesus is probably much holier than I am. <laughs> so not only did he have disciples, he had all the crowds that followed him. You only had to spot Jesus, and they all swamped him. So much so that he sneaked off in the dead of night to go and pray, and then walked back on the lake to catch up with his buddies. But he would have been shattered. And Nicodemus came knocking on the door, and he still had time for Nicodemus. And I love Nicodemus's passion, because in Sunday school, I'm sure we always got told that Nicodemus went to see Jesus at night because he was scared because he was of the ruling council and he was high up person and he was so scared to go and see Jesus during the day, so he had to go at night time. But I've actually been pondering it, and I don't think it was fear. If you think of Nicodemus, he was one of the guys who was actually there at the very end, with Joseph Arimathea, carried Jesus' body to the grave, and he paid for oil that was value of a royal funeral. That guy was not afraid. You could not buy that amount of oil and not to be known. You can't just kind of hide it in the garden, can you? It would have been known. So he was not, not fearful. But what he did once, he wanted one-on-one -on -one with Jesus. It wasn't enough just to see and hear Jesus in the crowd. He wanted to have time with Jesus. He wanted to ask Jesus questions. He wanted to have Jesus speak into his heart and into his life. And that to me, kind of, that to me is the powerful thing. He wasn't, being a member of the ruling council, it would have been very easy for him to go to Jesus and say, hey Jesus, you know I'm on this council and we kind of decide these things and it's quite a big thing. Would you have any advice for me because I want to look good on the council and make good decisions? He wasn't interested in that. He was interested in his heart. And I love the fact that he asked the dumb questions as well. Because if he hadn't, we wouldn't know what Jesus' answer was. And I'm sure we've all been in situations where everybody else around you seems to know what they're talking about. And you kind of, unless you're very brave, you're not going to ask a dumb question. I have it most of my lunch breaks. I'm surrounded by scientists. And I've got very good at nodding and smiling. <laughs> and I've got to a point where I, every now and then I can actually make an intelligent comment to the conversation, appearing like I understand what they're talking about. But it would get very tiring every time I'd ask, well, what's that? I haven't got a clue what you're talking about. <laughs> Do it every now and then just to throw them off their guard. But I love the fact that Nicodemus, he, didn't, he was this higher person in the society. But he didn't mind asking, how can a man be born again? Surely he can't go in the mother's womb again. It just doesn't work. And his mind was still on the natural. He, he didn't understand. And I love the way how Jesus, Nicodemus, asked the question in the natural, in his earthly understanding. But he wanted to know the answer. And Jesus answered from the heavenly perspective. He answered with the spiritual understanding and is opened away. 
And that's the challenge for us. It's very easy to focus on the earthly things and use our earthly pair of eyes to try to understand the spiritual, and you can't. You have our, it's our spirit that has to understand. We can't, our mind doesn't comprehend. It's our spirit that understands the spirit. And I'd actually been reading through John before it was decided that we were talking on John. And one of the things that time after time kept popping up for me was how Jesus chose to act according to love. And the Pharisees kept getting so upset because it didn't fit their mindset of law. It's a Sabbath. You heal the person. You can't do that. It's a Sabbath. Oh, your disciples haven't washed their hands. It's against the rules. Whereas Jesus chose to act in love. He was choosing the spirit rather than flesh. Because if you follow law, it will only have impact on your flesh. It will not have impact on your spirit. So following the letter of law, you are sowing into now. It will have impact in your life now. Whereas if you choose to act according to love, you're sowing into your spirit and you're sowing into your eternal pension pot. There's much better than the pension pot on earth because it doesn't rust. Not affected by stock markets or politicians who decide to change your pension scheme. But we are forgiving, aren't we? But the question remains, what are you investing in? If you think of the parable in Matthew, I think, um, oh, Matthew 13, the precious pearl, the merchants, very, very wealthy guy. You have to kind of have some cash to be a merchant because you hold a lot of stock. And he found this precious pearl and he went and sold everything he had to buy the one pearl. Likewise, there was a man who found a treasure hidden in the field and he went and sold everything he had to buy the field so that he could have the treasure. And if you think of that transferred to your life, what are you investing in? Are you investing in the kingdom, the eternal mindset? Or are you focused on the earthly? And most things in the New Testament, they're always reflected in the Old Testament. And I was kind of, kind of said the very dumb question at home the other night, kind of baptism. I, I just can't think of where, what, what's the kind of thing they represented, kind of reflects in the Old Testament. And I just could not think. So off I went and Googled this time. Google is wonderful, things like that. And what I found <coughs> was that in the Old Testament, they used a ritual cleansing called Tvilah. 
in the most amazing Hebrew pronunciation, there was a purification ritual where you fully immersed yourself in water. And if you didn't have a river or kind of natural source of water, what you would do is you would build a pool called mikvah. <laughs> it sounds like it should sound like that, shouldn't it? <laughs> but the most amazing thing about mikvah was the water in it, you couldn't just turn the tap on and off and fill it up. It had to come from natural source. Not only that, it had to be living water. It had to be flowing water. How amazing is that? And Lynn actually pointed out this morning that Jesus said, I am the living water. He was declaring the Jews, I am your place of cleansing. So I, I didn't trick that. It was, it was amazing. It kind of, here's our place of cleansing. Here's our place of purification. And actually, in the Orthodox um, Jewish tradition, when somebody wants to build a synagogue, they first have to build a mikvah before they're allowed to build a synagogue because you had to be ritually clean before you could enter the temple. So you cannot build a temple without building a pool because what's the point of having a building if you can't go into it? So the tradition is you have to build the pool first. And the expectation is you would sell your Torah, you would sell anything you can to fund the building of the pool before you would build the synagogue. And if you think of Torah in the Jewish tradition, it's the thing in the synagogue. It would be their most precious thing. And they were expected to sell that in order to fund the building of this pool where they immersed and cleansed. And that, that's God's heart is for us. He wants us to move from impurity to purity. He wants to keep cutting away the diamond that we are to reveal his glory in us. And with baptism in water and spirit, is we've died once with Christ in a water baptism, but then we are still dying daily when we choose Jesus in the little things. Sometimes it's easy to get to a point where you start beating yourself up because you know, if, if, you, if you're a kind of reflective type of person that you kind of keep thinking, oh, I should really be doing better, and then you kind of, it's very easy to focus on the things that you get wrong. <coughs> but then every now and then if I have a kind of moment like that, I think back to the disciples because they were wonderful at getting things wrong. And I'm kind of, it, it encourages me because they spent three years with Jesus and they still managed to get it wrong. They were face to face with him every day and they still failed spectacularly every now and then. So that, that kind of encourages me. And I, if you think of Peter, Peter is wonderful. He, he, he's my favorite of the disciples. And I'm sure it's literally the passage before he's been the one to say, 
you are the son of God. You are the Messiah. And Jesus is kind of, you are the rock that I will build my church on. And literally the next passage, what does Peter do? He starts to rebuke Jesus, or kind of tell Jesus that, no, no, you're not going to die. That's not going to happen to you. And Jesus actually rebukes Satan in Peter. And you just think, how can you go from this amazing moment of revelation to just completely being focused on, I don't want you to die. And I take courage in that, that you can have these amazing moments of revelation and you still fail, but then God's heart is still for you. It doesn't matter how spectacular you fail. And then if you think a few passages on where Jesus tells Peter, you will deny me three times. And I think that was because of Jesus' love for Peter. He wanted Peter to know I care. It doesn't matter what you do, I care. And actually the thing that Jesus rebuked Peter about was that you do not have in the mind the things of God. And it's very easy to see in that situation. Peter's been with this guy for three years. He's Peter's world. And suddenly he starts talking about dying, going away, leaving them. And you can see how easy for Peter is to react in his flesh, in the natural, to say, no, no, Jesus, that's not going to happen. Whereas actually the heavenly perspective of that was there was something so much more that was going to come out of the death. And it's all about God's love for us. That's why we keep choosing him, because he loved us first. For he so loved the world that he gave his only son so that we could live. His motivation was love. And if you think of John 3.16, what was Jesus' mission? It was to die. It wasn't to preach amazing sermons, heal thousands of sick, pe sick people. His mission was to die. If he hadn't died, his teaching and the miracles would have been without reason. That was his main sole purpose, was to die for us. And whilst he was dying, getting himself ready to die, he did release the kingdom. But in the end of the day, it was all because of his death that we can live. And then if you flip that on the head, what's your mission? And I think our mission is to die so that we can live. It's very simple. Because we have a Father God in heaven who is so aching to be one with us, our spirits to be one with his spirit. That's why we want to keep choosing the Spirit. Because we want to experience the fullness of God's love for us.
And I had this week, actually, the first years. I spent six hours teaching them how to take pulse. So you take your index finger and you take your middle finger and you put them over your wrist and you press down, you look at the clock, uh, you count 60 seconds, you count how many beats. It was fun. It was actually quite fun. I like, it's quite fun doing practical things with them. But we were teaching them vital signs this week. And interestingly, the only vital sign you can control is your breathing. You can't do anything about your pulse, can't do anything about your blood pressure. You, you can kind of think, 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 but you can't really do anything about it. You can't do anything about your body temperature, but you can do something about your breathing. You can choose to stop breathing, you can choose to breathe harder, harder, lighter. It's your choice. And actually, we can choose to breathe in the spirit. Breathe him in, breathe him out. What goes in, comes out. So if the spirit goes in, we can be pretty sure the stuff that comes out from us <laughs> is of God. If you choose to put him into you, in your actu actions, conversations, everyday life, he will come out of you. But you can't magic it up. It doesn't just, it's not, not a button. You have to keep breathing him in so that you can keep breathing him out. So my challenge for you all for the coming week is to keep breathing him in and breathing him out wherever you are. And if I had to sum up the sermon in two songs, these would be the songs. So, apart from breathing in, breathing out, these are the songs for the week. They're good old Pentecostal songs. Going back to my roots. Jesus loves me, this I know. Song number one. And the golden oldie, I have decided to follow Jesus. Päättänyt olen seurata Herraa, in Finnish. So, this week, keep just keep reminding yourself that he loves me. He loves me. No matter what, he loves me. And I decide to choose him, no matter what. And that's it. He loves us. Amen. <laughs>